be awesome. Uh, otherwise, um, let's get started. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 14. We are continuing in an interesting uh, dinner party that Jesus was invited to that we opened up with last week at the home of a ruling Pharisee. And uh, for your information, by the way, if you're new here or weren't able to be here last Sunday, we do put all of our messages on iTunes as podcasts and our website, but also we have a YouTube channel uh, that where we, po- we broadcast the, the sermons on video as we do right now on Facebook Live, so you can catch up as to where we're at in Luke if you missed it. I'm going to read the passage today beginning in verse 7 to verse 14, and then I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to look at this part of the story, the continuation of this luncheon that Jesus was invited to. Read with me, Luke 14, verse 7. Now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes to you, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And then you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Pray with me, would you? Yeah, Father, once again, we thank you for calling us here today. Thank you. uh, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your words here. This is your story. You you are the one telling the story here today. And so, Lord, we just thank you for... Uh, what you will teach us from this. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would truly open our, hi- our minds and our hearts to receive your word, to hear from you. We pray not that we would just learn good lessons, but we pray that we would be people who would be truly transformed by you. So we pray that you would do that work in us today. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So a couple of quick questions for you as we get started as I'm uh, prone to do. Let me ask you this: <clears throat> Which are you? Uh, which 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 would you like most? Would you like to be invited to what you believe is going to be an awesome dinner party, or would you like to be the person who's putting it on? Or would you be the kind of person who would say, "Well, you know what? Let's just go out for dinner <laughs> and get a big table at a good restaurant. Let's get everybody out." Or, <laughs> by the same token, are you just antisocial? and maybe not any of those things, because, you know, there's work and then so forth. I was thinking about it this week, and, and, and secondly, I was thinking that, you know, th- and as I look back on my own personal life, but also on my business life, I'm thinking, you know, there are different kinds of invitations to dinner parties, aren't there? Right? 
There are the, the family invitations to dinner, and those can be sometimes really wonderful and look forward to, and yet sometimes there are the in-laws and the outlaws there, and you're like, oh, that's going to be fun, right? And, and yet you go, because it's family, and you bless people. And then, then there's, there's invitations to parties or dinner parties where there seems to be a quid pro quo going on. There's a, there's a business relationship or there's an obligation. And so sometimes that might, that might change our, our view and our expectations of that dinner party, right? And uh, what about if we're the ones putting on parties? What are our expectations of the people who come? I love it whenever we're putting on a party at home, and, and I do love it when I say this, but you know, people often are like, what can we bring, right? And, and, and often, I mean, you want to bless people, you're like, nothing, you know, like if, you know, we'll, we'll look after that, but people are very generous. And so there's these, this quid pro quo sometimes, but there's a difference, isn't there, whether these are dinner parties that are purely social with friends, uh, or whether they're business, or whether they're political in orientation. And so we have different expectations of these dinner parties. I was thinking about the advice columns, like where would you go to get advice about these kind of things, right? And I, I, I called to my wife and I said, hey, you know, wh where would you go? Like, who, who would be the person that you would go to to get advice about how to put on an awesome dinner party? And, you know, I, I had actually done some research myself and found out that it was a woman, and I remember this, but her name was Emily Post. Anyone ever heard of Emily Post? She wrote a really interesting book called Etiquette in Society and Business in Politics and at Home, <laughs> right? It, it was about putting on social gatherings and dinner parties and, and what the, the etiquette behind it was. But there was also a woman who was very famous. Who, she, her name was Judith Martin, but she became known as Miss Manners. Now, some of you, come on, you can't be that long. You haven't heard of her, right? And Janice had heard of her. She wrote this guide. It's called Miss Manners, Miss Manners Guide to Excruciatingly Correct Behavior. <laughs> I thought that was a great title. It's... You know, but it was a book about, again, how, how to invite people, what the expectations are, right? And then, of course, there was the maven of all mavens. And you haven't heard much from her lately, but her name was Martha Stewart, right? And she would show women in particular how to put on a, an amazing gathering with the setting of the table, right? And she'd make most women feel completely inadequate, right? Amen? Like, let me, let me put this this way. Today, just think Pinterest. Okay. Dinner gatherings dinner parties. Where would you go for advice, really? Well, oddly enough, I want to show you today that this particular passage that I just read for you is actually what I would suggest are the best dinner party rules, regulations, advice that most of us could ever, ever get. And it's given to us by the Lord Jesus. Your sermon title for today is Dinner Party Rules. Number one is the guest rules. Number two is the host rules. And number three, kingdom rules. So let's look at point number one in just a second here. As we learned last week, let me give you a bit of a catch-up. Jesus himself said that the Son of Man came in three distinct ways. First, to seek and save the lost, to serve, and secondly, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, so that was his purpose. And he specifically said, these are the reasons why I came. But then he gave his method and his method was in the third, third way, and he said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And we learned last week that Jesus loved dinner parties. He loved meals. In fact, he was either, we read in the scripture, in the gospels, he's either at a dinner party, going to a dinner party, or just coming from one. It seems like that. Like, there are literally 16 events in the gospel of Luke 
where he's either feeding people or at a meal. And so it was a big deal for Jesus, and we noticed that the big deal for him was is that it was all about relationship. It was about relationship. He wanted to be in relationship with everyone in that day as he does with us today. And so we also learned last week that um, the ruling Pharisee had invited Jesus to this particular dinner, but it was a setup, right? They had just set Jesus up by sitting him across the table from a man who was very sick. This man had a disease called dropsy, which we know today as edema. And they, they did that in perp- on purpose because what they wanted to find out was, would Jesus do it again? Would he be a Sabbath breaker, a lawbreaker, and heal someone on the Sabbath? Well, we learned that he, uh, they obviously had a pretty messed up idea of what the Sabbath was all about. And of course, Jesus did what they wanted him to do. He healed the man completely, miraculously, right in the presence and sent him away. And the dinner continued. So now today we see Jesus continuing with lessons for, listen, the invited ones, the guests, then for the host. And as we will see next week in the parable of the great banquet, which is another part of this meal, it's the conclusion to this meal, Jesus' focus is always on the kingdom the kingdom, the kingdom of God, who gets invited and how to get invited. So number one, guest rules. Let me put the first verse up on screen for you again. It's this, verse 7. says this, Now he told a parable to those who were invited, guests, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, So to begin with, let me give you the lay of the land in this room or at this party per se. Typical uh, Middle Eastern but Jewish uh, dinner party, a luncheon after synagogue in a Pharisee's home, but in any home for that matter, would generally be around a U-shaped table. And so there was a head of the table, for sure, and that's where the host would sit and people beside him would be his honored guests. And in this particular picture, you can imagine... You know, I'm the Pharisee, the ruler, I'm at the head of the table and his honored guest, and then Jesus is right here. He's kind of close to being an honored guest. Right across from him is the man with dropsy, and then down the table you go, and some of Jesus' disciples would be there, guaranteed, by the way, they'd be at the end of the table. But they were there too, some of Jesus' disciples. And so this is the way it's left and the way it's presented to us. So it, it was so that everyone else could see, quite frankly, the way things were set up, Who was important in this room? So let's remember this also. Parables are simple stories that have generally one big idea, and this parable fits that description very well. But before getting to the big idea, this time it's about Jesus doing the setup. Jesus is the one doing the setup. So imagine that he's likely just at the corner, as I said, of this you. So he is an honored guest per se, and he's directly across from this man who's been healed, and now Jesus has sent him away, and now Jesus looks around at this table, and he addresses those who are there. He addresses those who are invited. And we'll learn more about how these invitations work next week, but suffice to say, uh, the only, the only last-minute guests at this dinner were Jesus and his disciples. Everyone else was pre-planned as part of the setup to try to catch Jesus. So Jesus addresses the guests this way. He's specifically looking at the head of the table, at those who he has noticed have chosen the places of honor. 
which would include all the people at the head at the U of the table, but also maybe even a few people close to him because he was considered an honored guest, as apparently was the man who was ill. And I'd imagine that before the dinner began, they started seating themselves and jockeying for the favored position. So Jesus, even before the meal has begun, you must see, is standing there and going, huh, I see what's going on here. And he's letting them know that he'd been watching, right? And so I can imagine there's a little bit of fidgeting going on at the table going, okay, where's this going? He's been watching us and he's saying that he's seen how we've chosen favored positions. Then Jesus says this to these guests in particular, the ones who've jockeyed for these favored positions. He says this, when you are invited as a guest by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, um, this place is not for you, it's been reserved for someone more important, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Ever had that happen? I'm pretty sure in that day that that had happened. And Jesus is acknowledging it. He's, he's saying this is what happened. So right away you'll notice in the text that Jesus changes the venue, right? He, he puts it out there. He, he calls it a wedding feast. And we'll, we'll see why more next week in the great banquet part of the parable that he tells. But this is, this is not a wedding feast that he is at. This is the luncheon that came after the time at the synagogue in the ruling leader's home. It was the Sabbath luncheon although I'm sure they don't get this yet. This is Jesus actually setting them up here. They were used to pithy parables in that day, and so they're waiting for the penny to drop, and collectively they're, they're waiting to be able to say to the wise rabbi Jesus, okay, I get it. Good one, teacher. Thank you for your wisdom. I'll, I'll, I'll remember that. And, and when it applies to me, uh, yeah, um, I'll, I'll think about using that advice. It's much like the way some of us listen to sermons, isn't it? <laughs> Good advice, I'll think about when I maybe want to apply it to my life. Well, here's the lesson. Being invited in the first place to this dinner, this luncheon, should have been seen as an honor, right? I mean, you think about it, this is a ruling leader in the community, a, ruler, a ruling Pharisee in the Jewish community. And so the fact that you actually get an invitation would be like, I'm invited. I get to go to this. I mean, that should be honor enough, shouldn't it? You would think. That would be how I might feel about it, or maybe you would feel about it. I mean, your senses at this point is, I'm in. When it comes to this ruler and, and this, this clique, this group, I'm in. I'm considered one of those important people to be at this dinner. You've been invited. You're on the guest list. You get the best attire ready now and cleaned maybe a week in advance because these invitations, and we'll get into this again more next week, they go out weeks in advance. And so you get everything ready and you're ready to go to this wonderful, wonderful meal. And then Jesus says, but listen, my advice to you is when you arrive, don't even be thinking about the best seats. And listen, don't sit yourself. 
Don't presume and take a seat of honor because here's what might happen and probably has before if that is your general attitude. You'll be embarrassed. You'll be embarrassed because the host will come to you and say, um, listen, I'm sorry, as I've said, this, this position or this seat at the table has been reserved obviously for someone more important and you will get up and with your head down walk to the back of the table and you will be shamed and embarrassed. So now I'm sure all of you here understand this principle and would never, ever, ever be guilty of either taking or desiring the honored seat, right? None of you would do that, right? Have ever done that. Be careful. I think we need to be careful with this. It's not just about a dinner party. It's about seeking a a better position, a better place, and putting oneself forward for that, isn't it? So we need to be careful. Jesus is teaching this parable, this story to the Pharisees, but again, let's remember, his disciples are there. And as I mentioned, I think it was, uh, well, it's many weeks ago now, uh, actually back in July when we were in Luke chapter 12, before we took a break from Luke, that Jesus has now turned his attention in Luke chapter 12 from this point until chapter 19 to focus on training his disciples. Getting the, the 12 and the other maybe 80 or 90 men and women at this point in time who are following him ready for ministry, ready for the Christian life, for when he is dead, buried, and resurrected and ascended is now up to them to go forth and be the church. And so he's preparing them for this life and ministry. So this lesson is for them and for you and I as well. So remember this also, though. Just before that, in Luke chapter 9, we read this. An argument arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was the greatest. This argument arose at a meal that Jesus was at. Now, you got to remember, like, what do we got here? We got fishermen, right? We got tax collectors. We've got women of the street. We've got the lowest of the low in the Jewish economy of that day. And, and they're having a discussion at the end of a meal with Jesus about, hey, which one of us is actually the greatest? Right? So Jesus knows this is a problem right? for them and maybe for us. So they, they've been invited to follow Jesus, and Jesus sets them straight on the occasion. But then on the night, listen, the night before Jesus is crucified, remember that? It's the Last Supper. It's the last Passover meal. And they're having this meal with Jesus, and he's saying, he's telling them, uh, he's introducing communion to them. This is my body which will be broken for you, my blood which will be shed for you. And what do they, what do they say? What does it say? What is recorded at the end of that meal? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was regarded to be the greatest. Okay, that's much farther in the Gospel of Luke. That's actually in Luke 22. This is Luke 14. They heard this lesson, and almost a year later, they're still having this problem. So, again, it's, it's interesting. If that's not enough, how about in Mark 10 and the story of James and John? Remember them? the sons of Zebedee, right? These, these great guys there, they, are, they went on to be amazing uh, leaders in the church. And, and they come to Jesus at one point and say, Jesus, here's something we would like you to do for us. And in fact, the way they put it is, we, we pretty much demand that you do this for us, right? They said, in unison apparently, grant us to sit one at your right side and one at your left in your glory. So, so again, they're actually asking for the favored position, aren't they? I think what's even funnier, quite frankly, 
is that in Matthew's gospel in chapter 20, we learn that it wasn't them, James and John, who asked that of Jesus. It was their mummy, right? They put mummy up to it. And she did, and she went to Jesus. And so, listen, what do you think the lesson here is at this point? What is it that Jesus is specifically speaking against? At this dinner, at this table, to them and to you and I, what are they all struggling with? It's one word, isn't it? Pride. Pride. Me. I. Number one. It's pride that motivates every human, even followers of Jesus, to see ourselves sometimes, sometimes more deserving than others, and therefore to be favored, honored by others, and ultimately by Jesus. Jesus' answer to this affliction is verse 10. But when you are invited, do this. Go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, that word may is important, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. So Jesus tells us to do, quite frankly, the very opposite thing that I'm going to suggest to you all of us are hardwired to do. He suggests the complete opposite. Uh, and in that day and in that culture, it was like, what? Like, no, that's, that's not how you win friends and influence people. That's not how you get ahead. That's not how you become a ruler of the Pharisees in the synagogue or in business. He says literally this. Look at this. He says literally, do this instead. Do this. Do the opposite. Yes, go ahead and seat yourself. He gives us permission to do that. He's suggesting, sure, you should do that. But here's the thing. Be sure if you're going to seat yourself that you take the lowest. You see that word, right? Lowest. Humble position. And then again, notice these words. That when your host sees you taking the lowest place, now see the next word, he may. He may not, but he may. He may actually come and say, friend, you shouldn't be sitting there. I I want you sitting up here, closer to me. And so that's uh, exactly what we're going to see here, is that the lesson that Jesus wants them to know and you and I to know is that the antidote to pride is obviously this. Verse 11 For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The antidote, of course, is humility. I love there's a website that you can go and watch a bunch of testimonials and uh, videos of Christians who, and the website is called I Am Second. It could be I Am Third, Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, who cares? But here's the point, I'm not number one. It's a humble position, right? This is how it works in God's economy. And this is how Jesus wants to see ourselves in the kingdom of God. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Jesus sees. God sees our hearts and our motivations. And honestly, so do those who know us. And in our own heart of hearts, 
we know it too. I was thinking about um, some examples from my own life about humility. Um, I have to admit that um, I'm certainly no more perfect than anyone else in this room, but uh, I have to give credit to my dear mom, uh, who passed away three years ago, Eunice. She, he, she was Eunice for, I don't know, 60, 70 years, and then she decided that it sounded more regal to be Eunice. So we all called her Eunice, but my mom raised me a certain way, and uh, I have to give her credit for that if, if I've learned any etiquette or you know, humility in that respect. It came from my mom, usually because she slapped me upside the head for being proud. She, she also taught me that it was, a, it was a good idea to open doors in cars or at the grocery store or whatever for women. And so I, I still do that to this day, despite the fact that occasionally some women look at me like, why are you doing that? I don't need a man to do that for me. It happens, believe it or not, but I'll still do it. I'll still do it. So I'm grateful for that very, very much. But also I'm grateful for the fact that I, I had a great job at one point in time in business career. I was sales rep in Ontario, then sales manager in Western Canada for JVC, the stereo company, a Japanese company, Japan Victor Corporation. Got to go to Japan and, and visit the factories. But I tell you, I, I just loved, I love most Asian cultures, all Asian cultures for that matter, but I love the Japanese people when I got to know them and see them operating because it's, it's, it's odd. Most of them are Buddhist or not Christian for sure, but it, it's obvious they've got the Imago Dei of God in them because they are uber, uber humble. And they get this principle really, really well. I remember being at a very fancy restaurant in Tokyo, and we're at the top floor of this restaurant, and it's, there's probably about 20 of us there. There's three of us from Canada, and uh, the president of JVC Worldwide is there, you know, and it was amazing. And, and my boss in, in, in Canada, Robert Kojima, he was like in charge of seating people, and nobody, nobody would sit. They're all standing around the table, and it was U-shaped, by the way. Nobody would sit, and I'm like, I'm not going to sit, <laughs> right? And at one point, I, I actually felt like, would somebody sit down? It was getting painful, right? So Robert, you know, he, first of all, we're the guests, we're the visitors to Japan, and he sat us first in, quite frankly, places of honor right beside the head table. And then he sat others from the company in lower positions, and then he sat the president and himself and others at the head of the table. But I really, I never forgot that. I really appreciated that. A couple of examples of how sometimes when we are humble about that, you know, God can bless you, you know. You can, you can have things happen unexpectedly where you're not expecting to get the best seat in the house at all. I think I've shared this before with some of you. I was at a Billy Graham crusade in Toronto. One of the main reasons, I was only a Christian a year, and one of the main reasons why I went is because I heard that Paul Henderson was giving his testimony. Anybody remember that name? Canada Cup, 72, or whatever it was, Canada, Russia, we won. Woohoo! Paul Henderson scored the winning goal in the last three games. I go to the dinner afterwards that I'm invited to with Athletes in Action, and they're putting it on, and I had no idea who was coming to this dinner, but we were invited. My wife and I were invited because we knew some people with Athletes in Action, and again, I'm standing back, and, and someone tells me to sit at this spot on the table, and I'm like, okay, and I'm sitting there, I'm watching football players come in that I knew, and then a couple of Toronto Maple Leafs walk in, and I'm like, whoa, this is really awesome. And then it gets to a point where there's only one seat left in the house. It's right here beside me. Guess who sat there? Paul Henderson. It was awesome. I got to talk to that man for an hour and a half. It was awesome. Being blessed by God. Another example is kind of weird, but, and this is something Janice used to do for years. She still does it. She used to drive me nuts. 
right? We would drive into Vancouver, we were going shopping or going to a restaurant or whatever, and she would like, like as soon as we got on the outskirts of, of the city, she'd go, okay, I'm going to start praying for a parking spot now. <laughs> I'm like, why, why are you doing that? I mean, we'll find one, like, or we'll pay for parking. No, no, I'm, I'm going I'm to pray for one. I, ca- I cannot tell you how many times, right in front of the restaurant or the store we were going to go to, as we were driving up, she'd go, slow down. I'm still praying. You know? And somebody would pull out. And I'd be like, really? Ever had those experiences? I guarantee you you have. But maybe you haven't given credit where credit is due, right? He's the one who deserves our credit. So that's number one, guest rules. Number two, host rules. This is important for you Pinterest Martha Stewart wannabes. Here we go. He said this also to the man who had invited him. He said, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Quid pro quo. So a very simple lesson here, and let me suggest um, no Miss Manners or Martha Stewart can beat this. No one can beat this, and here's why. It, again, it's the opposite, absolute opposite to what most people think. And so the key is this. Jesus has been talking to Because Jesus is speaking to them and how they And I guarantee you, everyone else in the room is too. So this is quite poignant, right? Jesus now looks him directly in the eye and says, now as for you, sir, next time you give a dinner party, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your family, your well-connected, and also for sure not your rich neighbors some of whom are sitting there at the table. So let's start with the friends and family. What's his point there? Well, simply put, listen, Jesus is not saying in this parable, this story teaching, he's not saying that we should never invite your family, our family, love, our friends, people from our church. No, but specifically, not so much the people that you favor, the people you really want to hang with, the people that, you, you, that are going to bless you or are going to make you look good, or not just with those people, not with your clique, people who are the same age as you, are into the same sports and the same activities as you are, the people you favor. These are the people, quite frankly, that many of us look forward to seeing on Sunday or at Missional Community Group at Thanksgiving or at our Christmas dinners. These are the preferred relationships. We all have them. Let's be honest. We do. Jesus understands that. But secondly, the rich, and the reason Jesus gives in this case is because our motivation might be, no, probably, is often self-centered. We could be hoping that they'll invite us into their world too, right? Into their much nicer home and their bigger and better dining facility and 
better VQA wines, etc. Right? We might be expecting that. And so that all said, Jesus isn't saying that, listen, he isn't saying that reciprocating as well is a bad thing. I mean, let me ask you this question. This is an honest question. Think about it. What, what do you do when someone has invited you to their place and what they provide for you is in your own heart and mind beyond what you can do? Do, do you think, well, I, I don't think I could invite them to my place. I don't cook that. My house doesn't look like this. Actually, the principle applies. Same principle. Do it under the Lord. It's reciprocal. Some of you know that I'm a wannabe chef. A few others in this church that I'm looking at right now are too. I like to cook. I really do. But I, I, I've known of situations. I actually had a situation a couple of years ago where a, a couple that they don't go to our church, so it's none of you, relax. But they, they came for dinner, and, and, and I, I did one of my favorite, you know, pasta with mussels and, and all the rest of it. And I was like, ooh, this is awesome. And, and I just like doing it, right? I'm not great, I'm, you know, but... The wife said, of the other couple said, I don't know if I can invite you over to our house because I, I can't do this. To which I was like, well. So, so a couple of lessons there would be simply this, reciprocate. Because the, the idea should be that the reason why we were invited by a friend into our home, or if we're doing that, the reason is because we want to be friends. We want to have a, a proper and good relationship. But here's another thing maybe we should think about. Don't show off. <laughs> Let's not do that, right? We don't have to show off. And lastly on that point, let me suggest this also to you. Many of us love being invited into homes where, listen, my favorite home to go to is, and I've been invited to many homes, and there's been some of the best meals that Janice and I have ever gone to, are, are into the homes of people who, quite frankly, I know, and they know, they don't have what we have. But what they have is an awesome family table. Amen? Amen. They, they have family. They have an amazing time, and, and they just wanted to bless us. And it's particularly awesome when we get to be invited to people's homes from various cultures, um, where we get to have dinners like, you know, that are cooked by people who really are Italian, right? Or a Greek, or a Persian, Asian, Mexican, doesn't matter. That's awesome. And by the way, if that is you and you invite us to your home, please don't cook meat and potatoes because you think that's what we eat. We want to eat your food, okay? Because it's awesome. So let's do that. So those are the host rules, right? Those are the host rules that God, that Jesus has put out there, is that we should have a guest list that isn't just focused on those people whom we favor or we want something from. Number three, kingdom rules. Jesus clarifies it by saying this. But when you give a feast... Invite these people. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And look at this. You will be blessed. Because why? They probably can't repay you. And that's okay. Because you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So talk about the opposite, right? This is completely the opposite of what this Pharisee would be thinking, but this is quite the opposite often in our world today. It's quite the opposite, unfortunately, um, in, in, in the church sometimes as well. It's really the opposite. So what Jesus is saying, listen, don't, don't just invite your besties. 
uh, your family, your relatives, your boss. Jesus says, invite the least, the last, and the lost. Invite them for dinner. So again, let me be clear here. It's a parable. It's a principle. He's not saying that we cannot invite people from the first group. But what he's saying is, along with those people, do invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. In other words, the outcasts as well to your next feast. Now think about how that might impact the next guest list that you put together. Think about that. I was thinking about that this week. You know, I'm going to put a guest list together for a meal that we want to put on. And, and, and all of a sudden, I know that there are some people in our church or in our neighborhood or downtown here on the street that I'm just going to, at the ledge one day, go, hey, listen, we're having a party next Friday night. Come on to the house. Now, think about it. Before you even make that guest list of the people that you're going to invite to that party, might some things change? Who you might invite? I mean, you might stop and think, well, if I invite that person and this person is there, how are they going to feel about that? Do at that point you give up the whole idea of having a meal like that? You, you guys are way more holy than I am, I'm sure. I'm sure we wouldn't do that. That's the question. Well, that's the question I think that needs to be asked here. Jesus has already made the point to the Pharisees before. Remember this. Just one chapter earlier, chapter 13, Jesus had been speaking about entering by the narrow door, and he exhorted them to do that at that moment because he said to them, listen, the door is still open. I'm here. I'm speaking. You're breathing. You've got a pulse. The door is still open. But he also said to them, the door is going to close, right? It's going to close. At some point, whether when he comes again or when you and I die and we stand before him, it is too late. He then tells them, it will be then too late, but also that when they die and they come before Jesus and ask him, that he actually suggests to them, you will plead with me at that moment. You will say, but we, we ate with you. We heard your sermons. We heard you preaching. Let us in. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. Depart from me. But what he also said to them, to these Pharisees, which is maybe why he was invited to this dinner, was that here's what's also going to happen. You're going to see the banquet table behind me. And you're going to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at that table. And guess who else you're going to see there? Yes. Those from the north and the south and the east and the west, the sojourners, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind at my banquet table. You're going to see them there. Before I conclude, let me give you a couple of practical applications for that in your life today as part of the Rock Church, or any church for that matter. This is one of the, the main reasons why, one of the main reasons why we do missional community groups. These are not cliques, by the way. I was speaking to a, a, a lady today. Uh, they went to, their family went to one of our missional community groups for the first time this week, and, and her comment was that it, she likes it from the perspective of that we have multi-generational uh, community groups. So we, we, have, we, have, we have babies. We have lots of babies at the Rock Church, by the way. Go forth and multiply. We take the Bible literally. And, and we have lots of babies, right? But we have, we have also young kids. We have teenagers. We have... 20-somethings, we have young married couples, we have older couples, we have 
grandparents, parents, aunts and uncles. It's a mixed bag at our community groups. But those community groups are not supposed to be cliques. It's not just for us. And, and some of our community groups, we're inviting people to those community groups who are not actually part of our church yet, but are from the neighborhood. And we're inviting them into that group. This is, this is why we're doing this, is to be family, yes, to grow deeper in God's Word and, and, and to learn God's Word more deeply, but also so that we are putting ourselves weekly into a position where we invite dinner guests. Dinner guests. I love it in the years past when I think of Christmas dinner, which I think many of you are already beginning to think about. Um, but some in our church have been uh, hosting here at the ledge, but also in their home, homes. Uh, what has gone by the term orphan's dinner, which, which is basically then inviting people to Christmas dinner in their home who are not only part of our rock, the church, or part of the church family, who do not, by the way, have family here in Squamish. And that, that can include single people, it can include couples, it, it can include anybody for that matter, families, that, that their, their parents, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles aren't here in Squamish. And so we invite them to these dinners and into our homes. So I really want to encourage you, Rock Church, this Christmas, think about that. Think about that. And listen, I know I'm going to press against it. Some of you aren't going to like it very much, but here's the truth. Most of us are thinking about getting on an airplane, traveling, and being with our family or having them here. That's awesome. Can I encourage you to think about others to invite, especially here in Squamish? So in conclusion, let me suggest this. Everything we should have learned here today, whether about being the humble and appreciative guest or the gracious host, is all pointing to something much bigger than this, isn't it? Much bigger than this. What again was Jesus' favorite topic? the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that is his key lesson that he wanted them to understand and you and I here today as well. There is, in the very near future, I want to suggest, very near future, coming a dinner party, a banquet, in fact, that you and I definitely want to be on the guest list for. We definitely want to get the private group Facebook invite to this banquet. Amen? You know what banquet that is, right? You know what that is. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's the truth. None of us deserve the invitation, do we? Certainly not based on anything we've done. We don't deserve that invitation. And another reason why is because it's a very special invitation. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ himself personally to those people who he knows. He knows. So one word in our last verse for today will be repeated by someone at this luncheon in the next verse that we will start with next week, and it is the word blessed. Does that remind you of anything? It's kind of beatitude-like, isn't it? Yeah, that's intentional. It's very intentional. It's reminiscent of the very first beatitude that Jesus gave to his disciples. Remember that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to put it on screen for you, where Jesus said this. One of his first great lessons for his disciples was this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Who are the poor in spirit? 
Well, they are those who have come to understand that they have nothing, nothing to bring to the table. I've got nothing to bring to the table. You, dear friend, have nothing to bring to the table. That's good news. Because if it was up to you or up to myself to save myself based on my effort, my works, my, you know, being credible enough to be invited, I would fail. To this banquet? By this host? Oh, this is good news. No, we are the people who should say we are spiritually bankrupt. Lord Jesus, save us. But thankfully, Jesus says that it is people just like you and me, the poor in spirit. Friends, we are the poor. We are the crippled. We are the lame. We are the blind. Jesus came to heal us, to give us sight. He came for those reasons. This is a great banquet that's coming. The invitation is critical. So friends, let's confess today that we are the poor in spirit. We are the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And let's invite others to our feasts and dinner parties over the next year, five years, ten years, whatever the Lord gives to us, and let's tell them and invite them to receive Jesus so they too can be part of this great banquet one day. Pray with me, would you?